W. That is our cash app. We have uh, three pairs of the Brandy Younger tickets left. Only three. She'll be there March 2nd in case you want to see her. Dynamic harpist, composer, amazing. That's yours for a pledge of $50. We also have, of course, Malcolm X, Pacifica Radio Archives. Today is the anniversary of his... Um, of his assassination and of course he is in fact our black shining prince we lift him up whenever we can and certainly on this day the 21st of february so please 800-222-9739 you are in tune to wpfw washington from a young single mother shooting heroin for 10 years to an inmate in the Mecklenburg jail, to the newsrooms at the Washington Post, to the Oprah show, and now on the way to the big screen. The movie, Patrice Game Story, coming today on a virtual screen near you. Stay tuned. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to What's at Stake. I'm Verna Avery Brown. Well, our guest this morning is no stranger to What's at Stake, author, investigative journalist, award-winning justice advocate and life coach, Patrice Gaines is one of our homegrown celebrities. Her story is well-documented in her autobiography, Laughing in the Dark, From Colored Girl to Woman of Color. And now her remarkable story is being shown on the big screen in the movie short, simply titled The Patrice Gaines Story. And you can see it tonight through Eventbrite. Uh, Patrice's journey dates back 50 years or more and has gained national attention for years. A couple of decades back, the Oprah show. Let's take a listen. Okay, we have a really interesting show for you today. A lot of women who are trying to um, beat drugs, beat their, you know, life debilitating habits. A lot of them who've been saved by their own children. So it should be interesting. Patrice Gaines had a six-year-old daughter, was married to three physically abusive men, was beaten, was raped, addicted to heroin, jailed for drug possession, all by the time she was 26 years old. But she's turned her life around and is now an award-winning reporter for the Washington Post and the author of this book, Laughing in the Dark, From Colored Girl to a Woman of Color. Patrice says, that's worth a little applause, isn't it? Bravo. Patrice says it was the need to be a good parent for her daughter, Andrea, that made her change. Now, Andrea remembers some of what her mother went through, but she has managed not to repeat her mother's mistakes. She's a college graduate now and works in public relations. So, what was the long journey out? Well, it was a long journey, and I certainly could relate to what these women are saying here today. I think I particularly could relate to Charmaine because... I wasn't sure that I was an addict too because I was functioning because I was her mother and I was able to help her with homework uh, and yet I believe we all share self-hatred I heard someone else um, I heard you all mention about what you think about yourself and so I had to learn to love myself and that was what took a long time and as I learned to love myself I, I learned to depend on the drugs less and less as I as I say as I learned to think of myself as being more godly I learned that I had to protect myself. Now, one of the things that I found was that being in jail. Yeah, when you recognize you are spirit, come from a greater spirit. Yes, makes and that it a that lot spirit easier. is in me, and I, it's up to me to protect that spirit also, and to demand that that spirit be respected. Patrice Gaines speaking with Oprah. Well, good morning, Patrice, and welcome back to What's at Stake. Well, good morning, Vernus. I'm so happy to be here. Um, and congratulations on the movie short. Did you ever think when you were living in that jail cell that one day you would be sitting on the Oprah show or have a movie being produced about your life? I didn't think about any of that or that I'd be here on what's at stake. None of that. <laughs> and it's so funny that yesterday I got a a, a text from my um, nephew's wife and she said that their daughter had 
just learned about Oprah in school. She's in elementary school. And that she told her that I had been on Oprah and the little kid was so shocked. And uh, of course, doesn't even wasn't born when Oprah had a show. So I had to send her a picture of me on the Oprah show and point out that there was a video on my website of, of it. So yeah, so it seems I'm making history, you know, and, and among some generations anyway. <laughs> That's right. And I'm sure there might be even some millennials that aren't really familiar with the well, Oprah show. But when, when we look back at that first couple of decades of your life, you're in your 20s, a young mother addicted to heroin, going from abusive relationship to another, three abusive husbands, I believe. Talk to us about how you got trapped in that vicious cycle to begin with. What were the traps? And I, and I know this is difficult to relive, but I want young women who may be listening to this or mothers or grandmothers or fathers or grandfathers, adults with young people in their care to be aware of some of the signs. Sure. You know, I think that when you do not love yourself enough, you don't realize that that is at the root of a lot of your issues, but it manifests in ways in which you can look. And we also find justifications for like, so I believed I was not enough. I was not, you know, uh, worthy. And I had reasons. One reason being because at the time I grew up in a predominantly white environment, I was constantly, it was constantly pointed out that as a little colored child, you know, I was not as smart as the other children. I was not, uh, you know, as worthy. And so that reinforced me as a young, younger person. Uh, and then as I got older, as a teen, it was also during a time when um, women got, my mother's name was Mrs. William B. Gaines. She didn't have her own name. So it seemed to me very obvious that, you know, I would only have worth if I was with a man. But it's funny how that has not changed so too much for a lot of young women or young people who are looking for a mate and feel that if they don't have a partner or, you know, uh, a mate that they're not worthy. Um, and so we look at all of this stuff outside of us and, and we find evidence that we we aren't worthy. And so you have to begin you know, almost like from scratch, from saying none of none of that matters. I really need to look deep inside myself and realize, you know, that I am a spirit here for a purpose. What is that purpose that I am up to? It. You have to begin to like talk to yourself, reteach yourself, not because this world gives us such terrible messages often about who we are, whether it's you know, the color of our skin, or whether it's our sex, or um, all of those things. Uh, and so you really have to take control and understand you have the power to do that, and begin to send your own self messages in spite of all the other stuff. And even before you even believe it, but just begin to talk to yourself, you know, in your head, in your spirit about who it is you really truly are, and who you came here to be. And caretakers should talk to their young ladies uh, and instill oh, yes. in them their worth as a, as a young woman. Absolutely. Um, so, Patrice, what, what were you actually charged with and how long were you sentenced for? Sure. I, I, was char I was 21. I was charged with possession of heroin with intent to distribute and possession of a needle and syringe. Uh, those are felonies. It was uh, intent to distribute because really I was, I had the drugs in my pocketbook um, and two young men that I was with were selling drugs to an undercover agent. I didn't even know they were doing that. We were actually at a concert, um, a Steppenwolf concert in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm sitting in the bleachers not knowing that they're in the bathroom selling drugs. So the police tried to say that I was, it was, you know, because they were from Washington, uh, you know, and I was from Washington, that we had come there to sell drugs. And that was what I was charged with. I was fortunate it was before mandatory sentencing. And so in the end, I ended up getting five years probation. But I spent a few weeks in the Charlotte Mecklenburg jail. I still say I was absolutely... Um, you know, just 
it, what hap has happened to so many people, particularly since mandatory sentencing, uh, did not happen to me. But what I didn't realize, I thought I had gotten, you know, like, whoo, okay, thank goodness. Um, what I didn't realize is what America does to people who are convicted felons. Mm. And <clears throat> there's a chapter in your book where you describe uh, being in that Mecklenburg jail and having to say goodbye to your daughter. Um do you have your book handy? Might, might you read that section? I do. I do. And it's a little section about being in that jail and waiting. Um, there's a, a cellmate whose name is Patricia and me waiting uh, to go to court. And then uh, my parent, my mother visiting and my me seeing my child. I went to court two times before my bond was reduced. The night before my first appearance, I couldn't sleep, thinking about walking outside and across the street to the courthouse. I imagined the warmth of the sun on my arms, the wind rippling through my afro. How long could you stare at the sun without going blind? I told only Patricia about my anticipation. She whispered the truth as gently as she could. Pat, honey, you won't get to go outside. They'll take you through the tunnel that runs underground. I went to bed early, my face to the wall, so no one could see the tears running from my eyes. Don't let it get to you, Patricia said. Think about seeing your family there and being in a different room. I lay there considering how my freedom was so limited that changing from one room to another was a major event. I swore I would never return to jail, never. My life had to change. Nothing convinced me more of this than the day my mother visited me while Andrea visit, waited outside with the rest of my family. Now, my daughter was two at the time. Can you see outside, my mother asked before leaving. What? Do you have a window in your cell? Yeah, long, narrow ones. Well, what side? I can see the street in the courthouse. Fifteen minutes later, I strained to peep out the window. My mama, my grandfather, my aunt, and my baby were out there, looking up, searching for me. I missed them more at that moment than I had at any time since I had walked into the cell. I missed my family so much I ached all over. My insides vibrated like a tuning fork. The hands inside the cell could not heal me of my pain. I longed to touch my family, to laugh and joke with my sisters about their corny boyfriends, to scream and run as my young brother terrorized us with his snakes to ride through Rock Creek Park with my father driving 10 miles per hour in a line of cars honking behind me. My family, like every family, had its own history. I looked outside at those relatives standing below with Andrea, all of them seeming to look in different directions as they tried to find me. My daughter looked so confused. Tears dripped down into my dress. Patricia walked over and placed her hand on my shoulder to comfort me. My daughter can't find me, I said. Mm. <clears throat> wow. So eventually- that is a scene that, I was gonna say that's a scene that's depicted in this short film as well. That was one of the ones that the filmmaker, uh, Shakita Lockley, chose to, uh, to have reenacted. Mm -hmm. it's, it's powerful. Um, so, Patrice, you walked out of the Mecklenburg jail eventually and um, eventually into a newsroom at the Washington Post. Did you study journalism? Did you take writing classes? I mean, that book that you just read from, that I've read years ago, is an absolute page turner. How did that happen? <laughs> Oh boy, it took some time. But you know, I think it, it when you are still, and I say that in the sense of the process I had talked about, when you stop listening to all the voices outside and listen inside, you begin to discover what it is that gives you joy, what your talents are. And in this case, I love to read and I discovered that I could write. Um, I didn't know that I could, but I would finally get the courage to show what I had written to people that I worked with. And, and I was surprised that they liked what, what I had written. And so someone told me about a journalism program. At the time, it was called the Summer Program for Minority Journalists, run by the Institute for Journalism Education, which was a group of journalists, including Dorothy Gilliam, who um, you know was like the first Black uh, woman, I think, reporter or co I know columnist at the Washington Post. I should know this history, but it's my memory, really. <laughs> And she was on the committee to help choose um, from applicants, the people who would go through this program. And so I was chosen. 
uh, to go through the program. It was an intensive three-month journalism training program that was being held at the time at the University of California, Berkeley. And from that, I was able to become a reporter. Uh, my first job was certainly not at the Washington Post. Went to the Miami News, went to the Washington Star, and was there when it closed, and eventually ended up at the Washington Post. So the felony charges did not hold you back? Oh, let me tell you, they did hold me back, but uh, not when I lied. They didn't. <laughs> uh, they held me back. I had to learn. I went through a process of being totally honest with people who uh, were going to hire me. But this was before I was a journalist um, and no one would hire me. Or I got hired until the uh, police clearance had you know run and then I got fired and so I was a single mom who was trying to support my daughter alone and uh, this is how you know this is the way America responded to the fact that I was a convicted felon so yeah for a number of years that happened at the journalism when I applied for the journalism program it was I was astounded that I had put the truth on my application and that they had accepted me it was the first time in years I had been accepted. However, when I went to the Washington Post, I did not put it on my application. And so okay. I have to say, eventually that came back to haunt me. Um, but uh, there was a question that was something like, have you ever been convicted of a crime or uh, a felony? And I put no. Yeah, I put no. Um, because I had never gotten a job when, when I said yes. And, I, and by this time, you know, my daughter was older, and my dream for her was to go to college, and I was going to be the one that was going to have to pay for it. I see. Patrice Gaines. Uh, well, I should remind our listeners that we're in the middle of our winter pledge drive. Our goal is $500 for this hour. This, this is your opportunity, listeners, to show your appreciation and support for WPFW and, and what's at stake. We need you to help us make this goal. If you're you know, captivated by this discussion this morning and appreciate having access to information that you're not likely to hear elsewhere, why not make a pledge to the station to show your gratitude? The number to call is 202-588-9739 or 1-800-222-9739. Or you can cash app it if that's easier, just cash app to dollar sign WPFW and put Verna or what's at stake any amount you feel comfortable with giving. Nothing is too small or too large. If you have the means to make a generous pledge of $500, we can just shut this thing down, the pitching, and just get back to the show. Uh, Patrice has donated her, four of her critically acclaimed book, Laughing in the Dark, From Colored Girl to Woman of Color, for a $100 pledge. And there are only four. So you'll get an autographed copy from Patrice herself. There are only four of those books. So if you want one, you better act fast. 202-588-9739 or 1-800-222-9739. If you're in a place where you can't call in, go on the web to www.wpfwfm.org and just push the Donate Now button. That's www.wpfwfm.org and push the Donate Now button. That, that book is really priceless. Uh, they're hard to come by because the publicist told Patrice that they will ship them to her by the end of March. So get your autograph copy today and show your support for WPFW Radio at the same time. This station is a treasure. You're treated to exclusive news and information that you're not likely to hear on other stations. Here on What's at Stake, you sat in on an interview with an African-American rocket scientist, Dr. Wesley Harris. He's the father of one of our programmers, Kamau Harris, who is also our LSB treasurer. We talked to the top motivational speaker in the country, Dr. Willie Jolly, who recently spoke at the White House. And he shared stories with us that he didn't speak of on any other interviews. And I'm sure Patrice is doing that as well. Patrice, so to show your support, pick up the phone, listeners. Pick up your cell phone right now and dial 1-800-222-9739 or 222 In fact, put us on speed dial. 
That's right. Put us on speed dial so you won't have to wait for that number being called out again. Patrice, uh, you know, that book, I, I, I read it. I don't know how quickly I read it. It was so many years ago, but I remember I couldn't put it down. Share another section of that book. Uh, with Absolutely. Us, and will. I was going to say, I could throw in as well if for the first person that calls maybe uh, an hour uh, conversation about writing or, or review 10 pages of their writing or, you know, somebody who might oh, need some assistance wow. okay. with that or they can gift it to they might want to gift it to someone else. Oh, so yeah. So go ahead, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Sure. This is. I thought the DC people particularly would enjoy this because this is about um my sitting at my uh, with my grandmother and a little bit about growing up in the Shaw community in DC. And uh, my grandmother lived on Vermont Avenue at U Street, Vermont and U Northwest. Sitting at my, with my grandmother at her second-story bedroom window in the evening, I saw black women in sparkling dresses and men in dark suits going to dances at the Knights of Columbus Hall across the street. <laughs> black people in Washington, D.C. were always going places, and I loved watching them. My grandmother must have been fascinated, too, because she sat on a short iron stool peering out her window for hours each day, first at the people going to regular jobs and later in the evening as the drag queens and prostitutes working the street. In the afternoons, I joined her after running to the store to fetch us a bag of Mary Jane's squirrel nuts and some penny cookies, <laughs> which we ate as we sat. This was our cinema, and my grandmother, whom I never knew to attend a movie, was contented with the picture show outside her house. She didn't attend parties and seldom had company. If Grampy had different interests, he hid them. They lived in a brick row house on a corner with a bus stop out front and next to the corner store where I bought my penny candy and cookies in the heart of a black community called Shaw. We were surrounded by the culture of our people. The campus of Howard University was a few blocks away. Up the street was the Washington headquarters of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, a Black-owned bank, a Washington African-American newspaper, and a string of other Black-owned businesses. Not far away was Howard Theater, where over the years I would see the most famous Black singers and comedians, including Otis Renning, Red Fox, and The Temptations. One day wow. I saw Marvin Gaye standing outside, and I was too amazed to say a word. On my way to the drugstore, usually running errands for my mother and grandmother, I passed the Skurlock photo studio, stopping to stare at the black and white photos of black people who looked different from any I had ever seen. Couples dressed in expensive, fancy clothes, women with silky hair and thin noses, their faces tilted upwards, men with clear, piercing eyes that fixed on the camera in a way that told that they owned something, their faces free from lines of fear or worry. Hmm. Patrice Gaines, author, investigative journalist, reading from her book, Laughing in the Dark, From Color Girl to Woman of Color. You will, you can see a short film uh, that's been produced of her tonight. We'll give details on that a little bit later. But when you become a part of the WPFW family, you're joining an elite group of community members who want to do their share in growing our community. And I know you want to do your share, too. Just like you pay your rent or your mortgage every month, become a sustainer and pay WPFW every month for a monthly pledge of only $12.50. You can help support the station. That totals uh, $150 a year, and you won't even miss that $12.50. So come on, sign up. Uh, you know, the sustainers will make, if you do that, if we get four people to become sustainers, we'll make our goal. And, and you can do that. Can, can you can you help us out? I'm talking to you. Come on now. Let's get those phones ringing. Uh, Patrice has thrown in an extra uh, gift with the book for the first caller. Be that first caller. If you don't need the lessons on, on journalism or writing, you may know somebody that does. I want to get back to the oh, interview. Yeah. And look, I can teach. Uh, I was going to say it could be fiction or nonfiction. I've studied both, so. <clears throat> My memoir, they're writing a memoir. Okay. Yeah. And I know we have a lot of writers out there listening right now. So come on, make that investment, support this station. So, and and uh, let us, you know, appreciate uh, Patrice Gaines' interview. The number is 202-588-9739, 202-588-9739, or cash up is at dollar sign WPFW. Verna or what's at stake, and they'll apply it to our goal. So let's get busy. Well, you know, Patrice, 
they've made this movie about your life. Have you had a chance to process all this? If, if you could choose one word to describe how your life journey was, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Up to, to up to now, are we saying, or during yes, that up, up to now? Oh, up to now. Well, I guess in some ways miraculous. Um, I do believe in that miracles are daily events though. So, um, but you know, it just, I look at it and, and think this is what can happen in one lifetime. Uh, mm. You know, just incredible changes can happen in, in one lifetime. I wanted to say a little bit too about the the actual name of the film. Film is Masterclass: The Patrice. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Patrice story. And um, yeah, it's it's amazing to me that this could even occur. I had, I, I would say nothing to do with it, but of course, in some ways, everything. But it wasn't my idea. It was this young filmmaker. Uh, Shaquita Lockley, who uh, decided that uh, I think she had heard me speak a couple of times, but and and knew my story, read my book, and uh, just felt like there's a story here that other people could could learn from, use that would enrich their lives. And she, just the idea that she believes that uh, humbles humbles me greatly. You know mm -hmm. that she would see something right. remarkable. Now, how much? How much input did you have in producing the movie? Were you able to suggest content or, or actually veto any scenes or rewrite parts of the script if you thought it was not a true reflection of what actually happened? Well, she was executive producer and director, and I'm sure um, we have enough of a good relationship that if there was something wrong, she would want to know. Um, but really, she chose the scenes, um, and I was... I. I approve because I, I thought that her um, guidance, her insight was right on. Um, uh -huh. I thought she told. So, uh, if yeah. you were if you were directing this movie of your life, are there experiences you would insist have to be included? Experiences that absolutely could not be left out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and this, you know, being a short, it's just fifteen minutes. It's she wanted to choose some events she thought were most powerful or important to give kind of the arch of, of my life, you know, where it came from and where, when it turned and where, where it is now. And so there is something in there about my uh, justice advocacy work, you know, and so that you can kind of see the, in some ways, I guess the irony of uh, a person who is a convicted felon going on to, uh, dedicate their time to uh, helping others who have been wrongfully accused or wrongfully convicted um, by this judicial system, and just in general to have our system uh, changed. Mm. So, um, yeah, and if it was a larger movie, I certainly would like to have some insight in, you know, some, some sort of uh, ability to make some uh, decisions about it. But, you know, um, it... It's just, it varies at times about these things. Uh, and you end up looking like the process of writing a book as well. There are things that were left out of, my, you know, of the story of my life. Because what you end up deciding is what is, what are the most important things? Uh, if mm -hmm. What are the points I want to make? And if there are the same incidents, other incidents that make the same point, then some of those can be dropped off out if, mm -hmm. if the ones that are left in are most powerful. So, know. so what would you cut out? I know if anybody was ever going to make a movie about me and then that's not going to happen, but I, I can think of a few scenes I might want them to leave out. So in your, if in your early life, you experienced considerable violence from three different abusive husbands. Were you at all tempted to have that downplayed in the movie? No, I think that though um, one of the more important things in a way was the um, the rape, the brutal uh, rape, uh, because that uh, the, that set me up uh, to be to allow abuse in my life, you know, uh, to be raped and, and is a, especially I think when you already do not love yourself 
and and particularly I think when you're young, but maybe it doesn't matter. Rape is such a betrayal, particularly when it's someone you know, but also just in the fact that you may believe that no human being would do this to you. So I was brutally beaten as well, and it was by uh, someone I had gone out on a date with. So um, I think that that in some ways was even more important than to go through, you know, abuse uh, from each uh, of the husbands who were abusive. And there's different forms of abuse, you know, there's verbal abuse um, as well uh, as physical. So I think that, you know, you end up having to choose in some ways uh, which what 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 makes, you know, what scenes are, mm -hmm. are going to make the the most or be the most powerful in telling your story be of the most benefit and among the many paths that you have pursued you have evolved into coaching young women about their lives you're a life coach what's the most important lesson your journey has taught you that you pass on to other women i know you mentioned that you have to love yourself uh what about selection of men in that whole uh, experience. Uh, yeah, the, and well, acknowledging too that you know some people may not choose a man and may may choose you know uh, people of the of the same sex. It's just who you choose to have in your life, particularly intimately, uh, has to be a reflection of who you see yourself as. And so if that person is abusive. I always say you have to have someone who looks at you and sees God or a higher divinity, uh, something sacred. They have to look at you and see that even on difficult days when they're disagreements, you know, and you have to be able to look at them and see that too in mm -hmm. them. And if you don't, then you have to stop and ask what is wrong because mm -hmm. it should be that you look at that person and you see God, and they even should look. Bad hair, even on bad hair days, Jeez. even on bad hair days, honey. <laughs> even on days when you might use some language that you know some bad language and have to squint, but still you you know that it's something that's going to pass because, and it's not, you know, an ongoing thing that 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 the joy outweighs the the other the bad so i think you know to put yourself in situations in which you are fed joy mm, and and you're respected and you're uplifted oh, yes. and supported um and and i'm absolutely. sure absolutely because mm -hmm. if someone sees that in you they can't disrespect god they can't who wants to mm -hmm. you know they can't abuse god Allah, the greatest spirit you know Mm -hmm. Patrice Gaines, you are an award-winning investigative journalist and a justice advocate. In fact, you invested years into seeking the exoneration of seven young men from Washington, D.C., seven or eight, I'm not sure, who were eight. tried, eight, okay, and mm -hmm. convicted and served life sentences for a brutal crime that you're convinced they had absolutely nothing to do with. Talking about the Catherine Fuller murder case, all of the men have since been released from prison today, and you fought their case all the way to the Supreme Court. Catherine Fuller, of course, was a 49-year-old housewife who was attacked on her way to the grocery store in Washington, D.C. in 1984. She was robbed of $40 and some jewelry. She was sodomized and beaten to death. Her body was found by a street vendor in a garage in an alley behind the 800 block of uh, H Street Northwest. The police described the crime as a gang attack. The police at the end of the investigation had arrested 17 individuals, all of whom were members of the so-called alleged 8th and 8th Street crew. Now, this case was the subject of an episode on the Netflix true crime documentary series, The Confession Tapes, which suggests the confessions were falsified. Patrice, what was the argument that... Um, the attorneys used to allow the case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, and I think you said Northwest, but it was Northeast. Um, okay. Yes, it was Northeast, and I had Northeast here and said Northwest. Okay. Well, and I, uh, think, uh, well I was going to say, because I know you knew, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But before the Supreme Court, the um, main argument was that the prosecutor had withheld evidence. Um, Once I, as a reporter at the Post, was able to find evidence that the prosecutor had not turned over to defense attorneys or, you know, that they were unaware of, we realized or the lawyers felt that that evidence would have made a great difference uh, in the verdict of of the jury. And uh, so there's something that's called the Brady uh, Act that uh, says that prosecutors need to, has, have to turn over evidence if it uh, will make a difference. So the, the great area about that is, and the unfortunate um, uh, interpretation and what needs to be changed is that prosecutors should not have the power to make that decision of, of what would make a difference, you know, what they believe is uh, important to turn over. If you're trying to win a case, then do you get to decide, you know, which evidence would be relevant and which isn't? All evidence, I believe, should be turned over to all sides to, you know, so that the prosecutor and the defense have it. Um, the So based on that, there were a lot of lawyers involved, the Innocence Project, as well as lawyers from various prestigious law firms um, representing these guys. And uh, they were asking that there either be a new trial or that this verdict be set aside because of that. What the um, Supreme Court did, they didn't vote unanimously, but they did vote against us and say that the evidence would not have made a difference. The thing is, I had interviewed the jurors, and each one of them was astounded, for instance, for me to say to them um, that, did you know that Mrs. Fuller's jewelry was purchased uh, the same evening she was killed from some other people? Uh, from a couple and uh, purchased for $5 by someone. Uh, did you know that there were uh, two people seen running from the alley and uh, that police did not try to identify these two people? Um, did you know that one of them was a young man who later would commit almost the exact the same crime? Uh he would kill a young lady. He's in prison now for that, a young white woman, in uh, just a few blocks from where Miss Fuller was killed. And he lived right across the street from where Miss Fuller was killed. And so there was just on and on all kinds of evidence that was not turned over to um, the defense. And, you know, jurors all, all said to me, oh, my gosh, you know, I never would have because it has to be, you know, <laughs> with reasonable doubt you cannot right, right. so i'm not sure what the jury purchase information might have done but certainly to know that this there's a gentleman living right across the street from her that had committed a similar crime so so the supreme court uh upheld the conviction that must have been yeah. a pretty heavy blow to you patrice it was a blow it was and you know i take nothing from the guys because it it wasn't. It, in some ways, it wasn't my life. It was. It's their lives. I can't even imagine. But it was a tremendous blow. At that point, though, I was used to tremendous blows because we had been to, uh, you know, a courts of appeal, and they had ruled against us and very for different reasons. Um, I had seen, you know, working at the Washington Post, how difficult it was. Uh, even for an institution to believe at that time, and this happened, you know, in 1984, the trial was in 85, uh, to believe that police were capable of uh, setting up a group of people or convincing, um, you know, a jury that this many people were guilty. And as we well know now, we, we've seen this happen many times. But then, we were, I, you know, it was the practice of the media pretty much to quote police and, and leave it at that. Mm. So is this the end of the story or can we expect the book revealing the behind the scene politics that may have contributed to that ruling at the Supreme Well, Court? yeah, I have worked on a, a, 
a book for a number of years now. I'm working on a book proposal. I have an agent that's been trying to help me. Uh, and it would be kind of a behind the scenes, uh, a, a look at what happened and how it impacted me just as a human being, a person who became a justice advocate. But also um, there is a gentleman named Thomas Dibdahl, who you've had on your show, who wrote a book called When Innocence is Not Enough. And uh, mm. he talks about that Brady rule and uh, uses this case particularly uh, to talk about what is wrong with it and how the Supreme Court mm. needs to be clearer. And lots of um, columnists, I can say nationally, also had a problem with that verdict from the Supreme Court uh, because mm. this has been an issue that continues to haunt people, particularly uh, people, you know, black people who mm-hmm. bear the brunt of of, of injustices. Mm-hmm. You're listening to What's at Stake. I'm Verna Avery Brown. Our guest this morning is Patrice Gaines, author, uh, justice advocate, investigative journalist. I want to welcome our pledge drive coordinator, uh, Miyuki Williams. Good morning, uh, Miyuki. Good morning. Oh. Oh. Miyuki is also the ever popular host of A Sunday Kind of Love, a show that will put a smile on your face and a song in your heart on Sunday afternoons. Miyuki. All right. <laughs> um, thank you very much. What an introduction. What a wonderful um, um, conversation. I think that you all are tremendous. Uh, thank you so much for all the work you've done, uh, Miss Gaines. This incredible, incredible Turn of events, and and thank you for offering all the wonderful gifts, um, Verna. The book is not listed in the thank yous for some reason, so oh. they're still all available. Uh, Sataris, could you repeat the name of the book, please? Mm-hmm. It's Laughing in the Dark, uh, Colored Girl from Colored Girl to Woman of Color by Patrice okay. Gaines. Yeah, say that one more, one more time. Laughing in the Dark. Laughing in the Dark from Colored Girl to Woman of Color by Patrice Gaines. It's a hardback book. And uh, how many pages? Do you know, Patrice, how many pages are in that book? It's 200 and some. Well, 300. Is it 200? Yeah, 200 and some. Almost 300, but 200 pages. And they're offered for $100? Yes, uh, for a $100 pledge. They'll be be available in a minute. Uh, Several people, I don't know how you're going to figure out who gets the special... um, uh-uh. Uh, though, yeah, because you you didn't set a price. I know. Uh, I, insurance price, and you didn't put. I mean, I set a anyway. price, a hundred dollars. But it's no, no, I'm talking the hundred dollars for the uh, special. Um, that, oh, uh, for that, the that, special. Yeah, she's she throwing that in for the first person. I, I, I understand. We don't know who the first person you. was. Now, we, exactly. <laughs> we don't know okay. because there's web and there's. But mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Meanwhile, okay. <laughs> for those of you who would like to get the book, they are available now for a pledge of one hundred dollars or more to WPFW. The number to call is 202-588-9739, 1-800-222-9739. You can go to the website at WPFWFM.org or um, go to Cash App at dollar sign WPFW. It is an absolute fascinating conversation, and it's about um, listening to the voices inside and not the voices outside. I love the fact that uh, Pat Gaines said that, stated that. But her, her story is about inspiration and her, uh, her story is about hope and her story is about making a life that is going to leave such a great legacy and, and learning from the mistakes that you face. If that is something that you can appreciate, do go to the phones. There are four books remaining, 202-588-9739, 1-800-222-9739. And um, please give as generously as you can. We have a goal of 500. We only need $325 to go three people picking up that or four people picking up a book will put us over 202-588-9739 i'll be back verna so let's okay. get back to you and pat all right. well i just want to say listeners all of us here are doing our part to help create a better community a better country a better world and we're not getting paid for that we volunteer only the staff get paid all the programmers volunteer and i do it because it's my small way of helping to educate inform and yes sometimes agitate our people into action to motivate don't you want to be a part of that we need you you're the beneficiary of all our work hold up your part of the sky we're all in this together 202-588-9739 or 1-800- 9739. If you're in the office, you can't make that call. Just go to the web, www.wpfw.org and hit the donate now button. Okay, we're going to get back to the show. Um, 
the movie, Patrice, is a short. What's the next step? When or how will the full movie be completed? All right. And I want to make sure, and I guess you may say this, how people can watch it tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get okay. to that. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Well, but this is I'm I've learned a lot myself about filmmaking uh, because you know this was all new to me. But uh, what the executive producer uh, Shakita Lockley has said is that once she made that short, in which uh, she you know invested her her money, got investors, got professional actors, a whole bit. I I was able to watch her um, film, do some of the filming, and it was just amazing to me, you know, just to be on a set and to see how this is done. Um, And so um, you know, and I was afraid you'd ask me that because I don't (laughs) remember the actress's name. Well, do you do you think she's? I thought she was very good. I okay. thought she was very good. I know she uh, she may have done some TV before. I know she's done a lot of uh, theater work, mm-hmm. um, you know. So these were folks that were, you know, serious, uh, serious mm-hmm. actors and actresses. So it was pretty incredible to watch that. And um, but so back to the question, the next step, how does yeah. this become a full length movie? Well, and so what Shakita says is what she did was during the summer, it was shown in different film festivals around the country. And uh, so what the hope was is that, and still is, is that someone who views it will see that it is worthy of uh, investment and distribution. And then it would become, she wants to make a full-fledged, you know, long film, a long movie. Um, but using this kind of as a, a teaser of, of, you know, mm-hmm. to show folks what mm-hmm. the story is. And so, so, so they can see Masterclass, uh, yes. the Patrice Gaines story tonight at seven, seven o'clock. On, seven o'clock. And you can get your tickets at Eventbrite. Now, did, did you want to add some more to that, Patrice? Well, just that... It, some people may be familiar with Eventbrite, some not. So they could even Google it's event, B-R-I-T-E, one word. And if you do that and just put my name in, it comes up, uh, the masterclass, the Patrice Kane story masterclass, and you just register. It's free. Um, you register the number of tickets and it's free. And um, and that's it. And then you just mm-hmm. uh, you'll get you'll receive the link today, and you click on that link, and at seven o'clock, um, the film will be showed. But we'll also do a Q and A. Uh, the filmmaker will be there with me. You know, we'll do some intro, and then we'll take questions and talk about the film. So I also uh, discovered that it matters how many people want to see this short doesn't matter how great a demand there is. I, I guess that would be helpful in terms of investors maybe, you know, deciding Absolutely. whether or not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know we, you know, we were conservative in our thinking and originally uh, she had registered for up to a hundred people. And then I started getting people who were complaining that, that it was sold out. And so then she upped it to 250 and then uh, after a while i started getting more complaints from people saying it was sold out so to speak you know because they couldn't get a a ticket but now it's been increased uh, to 500 and um the last that i spoke with her there were still tickets i know so um, Mm, but it would be helpful to her yes absolutely when she talks to investors to be able to say that you know on on a showing um that we were able to get 500 people to watch mm. this short film. So how many books have you actually written, Patrice? I know you have the Say Their Names book as well, uh, but how, there are others too, aren't there? Right. Well, I wrote, uh, you know, Laughing in the Dark and the, is the memoir. And then after that, I wrote what they call a self-help book called Moments of Grace, um, which is really more difficult to get right now. I'm in the process of, uh, putting that out again myself. I, It's old enough that I've been able to get the rights to it. Uh, so um, there's Moments of Grace. And then the last one, I'm a co-author um, with four men, and we did a book called Say Their Names, 
how black lives came to matter in America. And of course, my chapter uh, is about uh, locking up black people. That's what I called it. It's just mm -hmm. the kind of the history of and where we stand now as far as uh, incarceration, mass incarceration of black people. I'm going to go back to our uh, Pledge Drive director, Mayuki Williams. Do we have any update on where we are with the books? Yes, we, um, yes we do. Um, we have um, a, a call from Vanessa. Am I coming through? Yes, you yes. are. Okay, 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 I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Vanessa um, has uh, picked up the book, so we now, just uh, 11 minutes left. There's only three books remaining. We have a goal of $225. Again, fascinating conversation, wonderful guest, a wonderful, generous guest uh, to help WPFW. If you rely on WPFW and what's at stake here at the station, do help us get to this goal, 202-588-9739, 1-800-222-9739. Uh, what's at stake is uh, your station, uh, one of the state, uh, one of the programs here at your station that provides a platform for those um, issues that may not be highlighted. As she stated earlier, uh, last, she's had rocket scientists on, uh, a rocket scientist on. She's had uh, Noble Jolly on, and she has now uh, Patrice Gaines, who has lived a, a fascinating life. Yes, Dorothy Gilliam was the first uh, African American reporter at the Post as well. Um, and she is the one who was able to go join and be mentored by Dorothy Gilliam. And someone, Dorothy Gilliam was someone that was here on WPFW Airways. 202-588-9739. Uh, you know, I, I used to work at a radio station in Marietta, Georgia. The station owner would come in and he'd always work his way back to the newsroom where I was working. And he'd ask one question. Verna, what have you done for the good of the world today? And, you know, that question really made me think. It made me mad, but made me think. And, and now I can honestly say my work here at WPFW is contributing to the good of the world. Making a donation to help keep this station going would be tantamount to doing something for the good of the world. 202-588-9739 or 1-800-222-9739. Come on, help us out. Help us out. Yeah. Uh, help I was going to say... Oh, ahead, I was just going to say, no, when no. I was a reporter at the Post, I would listen to WPFW just to it'd be like my GPS to make sure I'm going in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're, we're gonna to use that, Patricia Gaines. That's WPFW is your GPS to know. That's right. We're going to use that one. I like yes, it. I love that. Yes. So WPFW is a GPS for your life in terms of planning, making sure that you're doing mm -hmm. things correctly, that you're on the right track. Do go to the phones here now. Please call. This is a great conversation. Just one of many that Verna Avery Brown presents to enhance, to entertain, to educate us. And that's what WPFW's mission is. 202-588-9739, 1-800-222-9739. Do call us. Do go to the website. Only three books remaining. We'll have to figure out who was the first caller to get that special, um, <laughs> special gift from. Well, that's it sounds like Vanessa gift. might have been. Is that no, her? That, no, she wasn't the first. We already think oh. of well, I don't know how you're going to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> and that premium was, and you didn't set a price, so I don't. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. 202 9739 1-800-222-9739. If, if you appreciate this caliber of conversation, this type of discourse, oh, we got to thank Anthony Sandler from New Carrollton. Thank you, Anthony. You can give mm -hmm. his info. Uh, oh, to be a writer. Well, Anthony's way late. He's not the first one, oh. but but he also got the book. So that's really, really okay. great. There's only two books. Thank you. Made. Thank you, Anthony. Thank and you we'll very see much, what Anthony we can figure Carrollton. out. We'll see how many people respond. Okay. Thank you. Oh, we'll see so what so we can kind. figure out. Yeah. So, 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 so kind. Uh, Patricia Gaines. Patrice. Uh, Patrice. Patrice, I'm sorry. Patrice mm -hmm. Gaines is doing her part. She's giving these premiums so that that will enhance or help you. She's trying to help WPFW. Won't you do your part? This is a collaborative effort. We only do this well if we do this together. 202-588-9739-1-800-222-9739. That's the number for you to call to become part of it. This is your last opportunity during this, this drive for you to show how much you appreciate WPFW. We only have seven minutes remaining, two minutes two to talk. Left. Two books, two left. books left. Only mm -hmm. two books left. Again, the number is 202 588 9739 1 800 Go ahead. And uh, Vanessa's asking if you can give the information out about the event break again. 
uh, Patrice, you want to do that? All righty. Yes, there'll be a showing, a virtual showing tonight of the master, of Masterclass, the Patrice Gaines story, at 7 p.m. And to get tickets, they're free. You can go to Eventbrite, that's one word, Event, B-R-I-T-E, and just put in my name, and then you'll see the registration come up, and just register for the number of people you want, as far as that means how many links you'll receive at diff different addresses, you know, to be able to watch this. Uh, mm -hmm. The film is 15 minutes, and then we'll do a Q&A, myself and the producer-director. Okay, that's... And Patrice, congratulations on your latest success, the production of that film and your amazing life. Patrice Gaines, author and veteran journalist who lives in Lake Wiley, South Carolina, Washington Post, former Washington Post reporter, written for the New York Times, the AARP, Bulletin, NPR, and numerous publications. She's an abolitionist who speaks nationally on criminal and social justice issues and is a recipient of a Soros Justice Media Fellowship and a Defender of Innocence Award from the Mid-Atlantic Innocence Project. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for our edition, this week's edition of What's at Stake. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, thank you to those who have pledged and to those who are getting ready to pledge. And to our engineer, Mike Masella. Uh, next week, Dr. Marsha Coleman Adebayo will be your host. I'm Verna Avery Brown. And in the words of the late Nelson Mandela, it always seems impossible until it's done. Up next, wake up and stay woke with Dr. E. Faye Williams. 202-588-9739. Hi, I'm Candy Shannon, host of the Friday Morning Brew. PFW is accessible public radio, community radio. We listen for information, conversation, all that jazz, blues, oldies, programming that makes a difference in a day. All available to everyone at 89.3 FM or WPFWFM.org. And listeners like you make it all possible. Every dollar makes a difference. $25, $250, We each donate what we can for our WPFW community. Go to WPFW.org, WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. Collective Voices and the Francis Gregory Neighborhood Library invite you to celebrate Black history through poetry from 3.30 to 5 o'clock p.m. Saturday, February 24th at 3660 Alabama Avenue Southeast, Washington, D.C. as they present African Americans and the Arts. Collective Voices, whose members are Lady Di, Sister Joy, Bernardo, and Billy O'Hara, are known for their messages of social consciousness, inspiration, and empowerment. In addition to their original poetry, the celebration will also feature an exhibit by Washington-area visual artist Jason Keene and conclude with a book signing. This event is free and open to all ages. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. On Friday, February 23rd, 8 p.m., Strathmore presents prolific drummer, producer, and composer, Micaiah McRaven. Blending jazz, hip-hop, and electronic elements into a modern, beat-driven sound, his latest album, In These Times, is the triumphant finale of a project more than seven years in the making. Inspired by both broader cultural struggles and his personal experience as a product of a multinational, working-class musician community, McRaven has a unique gift for collapsing space, destroying borders, and blending past, present, and future into post-genre, jazz-rooted, 21st-century folk music. Micaiah McRaven, In These Times, One Night Only, Friday, February 23rd. Tickets and details available at strathmore.org. WPFW, Building a Better World, one broadcast at a time. Big announcement. 
Home Rule Music Festival in partnership with WPFW presents an electrifying evening of music, culture, and community. Join us on Friday, February 23rd at Songbird Music House for the Home Rule Music Festival launch party and concert. Doors open at 7 p.m. Event starts at 8 p.m. Songbird is located at 540 Penn Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C. Special performances by the legendary Plunky from Oneness of Juju and the dynamic Brandon Woody's Up Indu. Plus, don't miss the exclusive screening of the captivating Black Fire documentary. Tickets are available at songbirddc.com. That's S-O-N-G-B-Y-R-D-D-C.com. Gil Scott Heron said, The revolution will not be televised. And yet we've seen oppression, suffering, and resistance.